Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Albert Einstein, theoretical physicist, Nobel Peace Prize winning mathematician, guy who made his name synonymous with genius, man who changed the world's understanding of space and time, guy who flat earthers and conspiracy nuts think is a total fraud. A man who stayed curious and worked on coming to a firmer understanding of the world around him and the universe that contained that world until quite literally the day he died. Also, maybe one of the world's worst husbands. Also, maybe super shitty dad. His genius is indisputable. How great of a person he may have been, a little more complicated. So let's dig in. Let's suck in. Let's get a little smarter ourselves this holiday season and suck on some Albert Einstein. Merry Christmas, mother suckers. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays. Happy whatever the hell you're celebrating this holiday season. And if you're celebrating absolutely nothing, why don't you lighten the fuck up? Stop being such a party pooper. Or you know what? Don't lighten up. You do what you want to do. You can just, you know, as long as you're continuing to enjoy time suck, it's fine. It's for happy people and it's for downers. Not going to exclude downers. I'm Dan Cummins. This is Time Suck. Hope it sounds a little extra crisp today. This is the first episode recorded using the new equipment mastered by Joshua Krell. Suck's first in-the-office employee recorded in the Suck Dungeon, the Suck Studio, the Suck Lair, whatever we're going to call it. Uh, Closing out the year at Comedy Works in Denver, Colorado. A couple tour dates, and then we'll get right into it. December 28th through New Year's Eve. Uh, Indianapolis, January 5th and 6th, Providence, Rhode Island, January 19th, 20th, Chicopee, Massachusetts, January 21st, Philadelphia, January 25th through 27th, Chicago, going to be there uh, January 31st through February 3rd, New York City, Gotham Comedy Club, one night only, February 11th, more tour dates at either dancummins.tv or timesuckpodcast.com, ticket links, or at least venue links in the episode description for all the shows I mentioned and a few others I didn't today. You can get that uh, best on the app, on the TimeSuck app. So more announcements at the end of the show. Right now, let's get into TimeSuck 67, the last suck of 2017, Einstein. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a TimeSuck timeline. At 11.30 a.m. on Friday, March 14, 1879, Albert Switchblade Einstein is born in a Baltimore dumpster. A burning Baltimore dumpster. He crawled out and he raised himself. Started slanging that rock at the age of four. Had his own crew by the age of nine. Wasn't afraid to cut a fool down and had slit three throats by the age of 12. He pioneered the use of cars and drive-by shootings. First man to pull a trigger in a drive-by. You know, hearing something you can't understand, how I could just kill a man. That's Albert Einstein. No, it's not. Sorry, I shouldn't have uh, listened to a Rage Against the Machine, Cypress Hill cover, while doing this research. At 11.30 a.m., 
Friday, March 14th, 1879, Albert Einstein, born in the city of Ulm. Uh, he's born in, in Germany to Hermann Einstein. Hermann, looks like Hermann. It's pronounced Hermann, I believe. They just threw an extra end in there because the Germans like to funk it up a little bit from time to time. And, and to Pauline Koch, and uh, his dad was 32, his mom was 21, and because it was 1879, it wasn't scandalous. They were married when dad was 29, mom was 18, which apparently used to be normal. Now... If a guy planning his 30th birthday party, also planning a wedding to a girl still in high school, kind of creepy. Really creepy. You know, no, it's not, man. You just don't get it, bro. We just we have a love that's timeless, you know? You just don't understand. Oh, I understand it. It's called lust. Similar to love, but involves more boners, less conversation, and practical plans for the future. Uh, but seriously, it used to be the norm. Totally acceptable, if not expected. Anyway, Einstein's father, Herman. He'd been born in 1847 in the Swabian village of uh, Bouchot, whose thriving Jewish community was just beginning to enjoy the right to practice any vocation. Uh, Herman showed a marked inclination for mathematics, and his family was able to send him 75 miles north to Stuttgart for high school. But they could not afford to send him to a university, most of which were closed to Jewish people in any event. So he returned home to Bouchot to get into a trade. So clearly, a hereditary disposition towards mathematics and high intelligence. A few years later, as part of the general migration of rural German uh, Jewish people into industrial centers during the late 19th century, Hermann and his parents moved 35 miles away to the more prosperous town of Ulm, which uh, prophetically boasted as its motto, the people of Ulm are mathematicians. How nuts is that? A town known for mathematics, even way back then. A town that takes pride in it. I wonder how much further medicine and tech would be in our nation, uh, like right now, if it was a bigger source of pride here. I mean, there there is pride in America over academics for sure, but I but I still feel it takes a backseat in a lot of communities to like high school sports, right? And look how well we do internationally with that, man. The Olympics, we clean up year after year after year. Probably not a coincidence. I should say, you know, every four years we clean up four years after four years after four years and uh and i, and I love watching sports it just feels like too much of a priority sometimes in my opinion for a lot of parents and their kids uh in ulm herman worked at a, in a feather bed business making everything so soft so very very soft in 1880 the family mo- moves to munich and uh, where the feather bed business goes belly up and they start a family electrical firm manufacturing dynamos and electrical meters the einsteins helping bring electricity to germany uh, little Albert, he was slow in learning how to talk. He said, my parents were so worried, he later recalled, they consulted a doctor. E- even after he'd begun using words, sometimes after the age of two, he developed a quirk that prompted the family maid to dub him the dopey one. <laughs> kind of a cruel nickname for a little kid. Uh, <laughs> the dopey one. Others in the family uh, labeled him as almost backwards. Oh, man, it's cruelness all around. Uh, whenever he had something to say, he would try to get it out himself, whispering it softly until it sounded good enough to pronounce aloud. He's just a perfectionist. Every sentence he uttered, his younger sister would later recall, no matter how routine, he repeated to himself softly, moving his lips. He had such difficulty with language that those around him feared he would never learn. Well, as we'll soon discover, by the time he hit school, any delays uh, preschool Einstein had were long gone. Uh, Pauline and Herman had a second and final child, a daughter, in November 1881, who was named Fuckface. Uh, it's messed up, man. It's a lot of cruel people back then. Calling one of your kids Albert, calling your other kid Fuckface. Uh, as if living in Albert's shadow, you know, wouldn't be hard enough. This is, this is my son, Albert. He's a famous mathematician. And this is my daughter, Fuckface. Uh, she's constantly getting thrown out of bars well, for drunken displays of obnoxiousness and uh, offers dollar hand jobs behind Albert's dumpster. I have, I have one child, Albert, and I have a failure, Fuckface. 
I think that started off as like a French guy and somehow morphed into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Accents, trying to <laughs> trying to improve them. Uh, no, she was named Maria uh, throughout her life instead of the, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, she was named Maria, but throughout her life, she used the uh, Maya, the diminutive Maya. Uh, when Albert was shown his new sister for the first time, he was led to believe that she was a, a wonderful toy uh, made for him. His response was to look at her and exclaim, uh, yes, but where are the wheels? Turns out once he started to talk, saying some pretty adorable stuff. Uh, to figure out how to pronounce Maya, spelled with a J, M-A-J-A, I ended up finding a video of some strange old German little kids cartoon about a bee. Uh, and this is this is a little piece of that song that I just felt compelled to share with you. <laughs> mm, here we go again. Maya. Uh, the Einstein settled into a comfortable home with mature trees. I can't get that out of my head now. It's probably very offensive to our German listeners. Oh, not, not known for their music, Germans. Not known, not known internationally for kicking out uh, a lot of a lot of solid. I think David Hasselhoff still is popular there. Anyway, it's catchy. Einstein settled into a comfortable home with mature trees, an elegant garden, and a Munich suburb for what was to be, at least through most of Albert's childhood, uh, you know, a pretty respectable bourgeoisie existence. In 1882, just after the Einsteins arrived, uh, the city had about 300,000 residents in Munich. Uh, 85% of them Catholics, 2% of them Jewish, and it was uh, the host for the first German electricity exhibition. Uh, they had electric lights introduced to the city streets. Einstein's back garden was often bustling with cousins and children. Cousins, man, that's going to come up later in the Einstein story, so re- remember that. Uh, yeah, a lot of cousins around. Apparently, it left quite an impression on Einstein. Uh, he shied uh, from their boisterous games and instead occupied himself with quieter things. One governess nicknamed him Father Boar. Oh, man, there's just no shortage of cruel nicknames back then. Uh, he was generally a loner. A tendency he claimed to cherish throughout his life, although he was, you know, uh, there was a special sort of detachment that was interwoven with the need for camaraderie and intellectual companionship. So he didn't want small talk, but he wanted to be around, you know, some people to talk to. From the very beginning, he was inclined to separate himself from children his own age and to engage in daydreaming and meditating, meditative musing, according to Philip Frank, a longtime scientific college a colleague. I bet he was just, you know, kind of bored with their little kid conversations. Uh, dear God, man, a lot of this sounds like me. I've always enjoyed time alone, but love intellectual stimulation. I daydream. I have frequent musings and such. It's, it's, you know what? It's like we're the same person, except I don't have a mathematical education or an advanced degree of any kind, and there's a very good chance, based on life experience, that my IQ is is nowhere near genius level. Uh, I am pretty sure that Einstein was never asked by a pizza place manager uh, to please stop cursing like I was two nights ago by a Domino's manager when I became enraged when they, they never delivered me the pizza I paid for, but kept trying to tell me that they did. Like, they're calling me a liar. Don't call me a fucking liar, Domino's. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Domino's. Just apologize. Refund my, my order, you shitbags. But other than that, same kind of mind. Other than that, we're the same person. Uh, Einstein liked to work on puzzles, erect complex structures with his toy building sets, play with a steam engine that his uncle gave him, build houses of cards. Uh, according to Maya... Einstein was able to construct card structures as high as 14 stories. Now, at first when I read this, because I, I am can be a big dummy and I'm not uh, of the IQ of the actual Einstein, I thought Maya meant like 14 building stories high. 
And I, at first, just my initial reaction was like, how is a little kid building a 140-foot-tall house with cards? There's no way. Why would she lie that badly? And then I was like, no, you dumb shit. It's 14 card stories. 14 cards high. So it makes a lot more sense. Maya also recalled that in an early age, persistence and tenacity were obviously already part of his character. Uh, he was also, at least as a young child, prone to temper tantrums. Once at age five, he grabbed a chair and threw it at a tutor <laughs> who fled and never returned. Man, he's five years old. He did that. Uh, Maya's head became the target of various hard objects. It takes a sound skull, she later joked, to be the sister of an intellectual. Unlike his persistence and tenacity, he eventually outgrew his temper. Again, it's like we're the same person, except his temper tantrums uh, faded away in early childhood, and I just had one a few days ago at the age of 40. Just, damn you, Dominos. Other than that, same person, exact same person. Uh, here's a childhood story that really foreshadowed the man Albert would become. An experience occurred when he was four or five that would alter his life and be etched forever in his mind, uh, and also the history of science. He's sick in bed one day, and his father brought him a compass. He later recalled being so excited as he examined his mysterious powers that he trembled and grew cold. The fact that the magnetic needle behaved as if influenced by some hidden force field rather than through the more familiar mechanical method involving touch or contact produced a sense of wonder that motivated him throughout the rest of his life. I can still remember, or at least I believe I can remember, that this experience made a deep and lasting impression on me, he wrote on one of the, uh, the many occasions he recounted that incident later. Something deeply hidden had to be behind the things. Or, I'm sorry, something deeply hidden had to be behind things, just things in general. So he just had a beautiful sense of wonder. Uh, after being mesmerized by the compass needles, uh, you know, fealty to an unseen field, Einstein would develop a, a lifelong devotion to field theories as a way to describe nature. Field theories uh, use mathematical quantities such as numbers or vectors or tensors uh, to describe how the conditions at any point in space will affect matter or another field. For example, uh, in a gravitational or electromagnetic field, there are forces that could act on a particle at any point, and the equations of a field theory describe how these changes – uh, as uh, how these change as one moves through the region. Like the first paragraph of his great 1905 paper on special relativity begins with consideration of the effects of electrical and magnetic fields. His theory of general relativity is based on equations that describe a gravitational field. And at the very end of his life, he was doggedly scribbling further field equations in the hope that they would form the basis for a theory uh, of everything. Uh, I'll be honest, uh, a lot of this goes over, over above my head. Uh, after a while, I just start hearing, nerd, nerd. Nerd, nerd. I try. I try. I try. I do my best. But, uh, you know, I don't have an advanced mathematics degree. I'm pretty sure all of the things I just said go over a flat earther's head. You know, just gravity's a myth, man. We don't, things don't fall down, bro. Flat earth just, it's always, it's, it's shooting straight up. When we jump up, the earth just catches up with us, bro. You know what I mean? Uh, Albert's mother, an accomplished pianist, uh, arranged for little Einstein to take violin lessons. At first, he didn't care for the mechanical discipline of the instruction, what kid does, you know, like that. But after being exposed to Mozart's sonatas, music became both magical and emotional to him. I believe that love is a better teacher than a sense of duty, he later said, at least for me. Soon he was playing Mozart duets with his mom, accompanying him on the piano, adorable. I uh, never had that experience myself with a family member. I do uh, remember drunkenly singing Jim Croce at a karaoke bar with my sister and cousin once, though. Just bad, bad Leroy Brown, baddest man in the whole damn town. Again, I hate to keep beating that drum, but kind of the same person. Uh, Mozart's music is so pure and beautiful that I see it as a reflection of the inner beauty of the universe itself, Einstein later told a friend. 
Of course, he added in a remark that reflected his review of math and physics as well as that of Mozart. Like all great beauty, his music was pure simplicity, right? He just wanted to break down mystery into its simplest terms, simplest components. Uh, music was uh, no mere diversion for Einstein. It helped him think whenever he felt that he had come to the end of the road or faced difficult challenge in his work, said his uh, son uh, Hans Albert. Uh, he would take refuge in music and would solve all of his difficulties. Right, I do relate to this. Uh, also, actually, I, I wrote "Don't Don't Wake the Bear" that entire album almost exclusively listening to Queens of the Stone Age, uh, Rage Against the Machine, Tool. Past few weeks, maybe that's maybe that's why I felt more on edge. Uh, video of Pearl Jam in Detroit is what kept me going. You know, working on this research. Uh, I think I, I think I listened to a lot of the Yacht Rock. You know, I think where that came from in this podcast is because you know researching you know episodes of heavy dark things. You know, it was kind of nice to balance it out with that some light early '80s feathered hair, carefree you know sounds of Michael McDonald and <laughs> you know guys like that, Kenny Loggins, that kind of like Steve Winwood, you know his early '80s stuff, that kind of nonsense. Again, uh, am I Einstein reincarnated? So similar, probably, except one of us uh, may have been much smarter than the other. Maybe I don't listen to Mozart while I work because I don't have the intellectual capacity to appreciate it. Or maybe had Mozart, or I'm sorry, Einstein been alive today. Uh, you know, he'd be yacht rocking his cock off with little Michael motherfucking McDonald. Who knows? Who knows? We'll, we'll never know. Uh, one one thing uh, very cool about Einstein, uh, he had an intense sense of wonder as a child, never lost it. I, I bet a lot of his time suckers were like that. My dad still likes to uh, talk about how I drove him crazy asking constant questions as a kid. And uh, and I really did get permanently banned from a youth group as a kid for just asking too many questions, you know. But why? I think that was my, my first my first sentence. And something I still constantly think about today, culturally curious. I hope, uh, I hope all you do listen to this one. I feel like it's particularly inspiring uh, to our tribe. Uh, okay, and Einstein's parents, while culturally Jewish, were entirely irreligious. Uh, they didn't keep kosher or attend synagogue. His father refused, uh, referred to Jewish rituals as ancient superstitions. And that's why when Albert turned six in 1864, had to go to school, his parents had no problem sending him to the best school that happened to be close to them, a large Catholic school. As the only Jewish kid among the 70 students in his class, Einstein took the standard course in Catholic religion. Ended up enjoying it immensely. Indeed, he did so well in his Catholic studies that he helped his classmates uh, with their studies. Sadly, because he was not Catholic himself, uh, none of the priests had any interest whatsoever in molesting him. Uh, sorry, Catholics, you didn't. You know what? You didn't deserve that. You didn't deserve that. I know that most of your priests do not molest anyone, Jewish or otherwise. Sadly, though, because of all those scandals years ago, I'd be lying if I didn't admit to this day, I still, uh, when I hear priests, think of pedophile. Uh, it's the very next word that comes to mind. How much does that suck? And not in the time suck way for all those good priests out there. I feel like if I were a priest, I would constantly just be blaring out stuff like, I, I don't do that. I don't do, I've never done it. Not, not a diddler. I don't, I don't do it. I'm one of the good ones. Welcome to mass, everyone. Let's get something out of the way right off top. Uh, the only thing I'm interested in pushing inside your kids is some theological concepts. I'm going to diddle their minds, not their private parts. Okay. That's just now. I just wanted to clear the air. Let's get into the sermon. Uh, sadly, sadly, uh, anti-Semitism uh, was already rampant in Germany when Albert was a child, and little Einstein was taunted on his on his walks to and from school based on racial characteristics about uh, you know which the children were strangely aware. He'd reveal later. This helped reinforce his sense of being an outsider, which would stay with him his entire life. Uh, he'd recall uh, physical attacks and insults on the way home from school were frequent. But for the most part, not too vicious. That's a rough sentence for childhood. For the most part, f constant physical attacks were not too vicious. 
Uh, nevertheless, they were sufficient to consolidate even in a child a lively sense of being an outsider. Man, I've said it so many times in the suck, and I'll say it again. How ignorant truly is just racial discrimination? Little Einstein, man, being taunted for having the physical characteristics associated with religion 19th century Aryan Germans weren't a part of and didn't understand, so they were afraid of it. And now he's getting bullied, even though he doesn't have anything to do with it either. Right? He's helping them with their Catholic studies in school in you know, one moment and then getting picked on for, for being you know Jewish the next. They didn't have the internet back then, but they, they still had plenty of idiots. Uh, when Albert turned nine in 1867, Einstein, he, he moved up to a high school near the center of Munich, the uh, Luitpolt Gymnasium, which was known as an enlightened institution that emphasized math and science as well as Latin and Greek. In addition, the school supplied a teacher to provide religious instruction for him and other Jewish kids. And here, despite his parents' secularism, or perhaps because of it, Einstein suddenly developed a passionate zeal for Judaism. He was so fervent in his feelings that on his own, he observed Jewish religious structures in every detail, his sister later recalled. Maybe being taunted by the kids in Catholic school, you know, pushed him in that direction. You know, if you're getting beat up for being Jewish already, why not be all the way Jewish? It was around this time that he supposedly failed at math. I hinted at this in the episode preview last week. Right, because I've heard that Einstein failed at math my whole life. Turns out, I love finding this stuff out on Time Suck, total bullshit. One widely held belief about Einstein is that he was a bad student, that he failed at math. And it's an assertion, you know, uh, made often, often accompanied by the phrase, as everyone knows, you know, scores of books it's in, thousands of websites designed to reassure underachieving students. It even made it into the famous Ripley's Believe It or Not newspaper column. In 1935, a rabbi in Princeton, New Jersey, showed him a clipping of the Ripley's column with the headline, Greatest Living Mathematician Failed in Mathematics. Einstein laughed. I never failed in mathematics, he replied correctly. He said, before I was 15, I had mastered differential and, in and integral calculus. Jeez, maybe, you know what? Maybe we're not the same person. I have no idea what differential or integral cal calculus even are. I truly could not pass a calculus test even if a gun was being held to my head right now. Uh, which would be an incredible, incredibly stressful way to take a test. Uh, I feel like this info puts a new spin on Ripley's catchphrase, believe it or not. I always took that to mean that they were talking about things uh, so amazing, so bizarre, that it was hard to believe they were true. Maybe it just meant, you know, it means that they've been making shit up. You know, just believe it or not, buddy. Sometimes you should believe it because, you know, it's, it's true. It's true as shit. Other times you should not believe it, you know, because we make it up. Believe it or not. Believe it, sometimes, or not, other times. Uh, Einstein was actually a great student. In fact, he was a wonderful student. In primary school, he was at the top of his class. Yesterday, Albert got his grades. His mother reported to an aunt when he was seven. Once again, he was ranked first. Einstein consistently got top grades. Years later, when Einstein celebrated his 50th birthday, and there were stories about how poorly the genius had you know, fared uh, during his grade school years, the school's current principal made a point of publishing a letter revealing how good his grades were actually were. How sad is it that PassItOn.com has a famous billboard, one I've witnessed several times. I think there's even been some uh, television commercials of this where it's Albert Einstein, he's sticking his tongue out, and it just says, as a student, he was no Einstein. This billboard is meant to inspire average or below average students, as in, you know, like, well, if Einstein didn't do well in school and still wanted to become known as one of the smartest men in history, you could still accomplish great things even if you're not doing well in school. Well, as it turns out, the message is based in complete bullshit. PassItOn.com is an extension of the Foundation for a Better Life, a 501 nonprofit organization founded in 2000. On their website, they state, our sole objective is to promote positive values and encourage viewers to pass them on. We communicate these values through inspiring messages in movie theaters, 
on television, billboards, radio, and the internet. Now, the advertising time and space for these messages is donated by broadcast and print media companies as a public service. And ironically, this nonprofit extension of various media companies got their information wrong. Maybe inspire kids to be solid future broadcasters and solid future journalists by doing some fucking fact-checking, right? Instead of giving people more ammunition to toss around those terms like fake news. No wonder no one trusts the media anymore. An organization sponsored by various media outlets doesn't fact-check their own inspirational messages. I, look, I know I make a fair, a fair amount of mistakes on this podcast, and, and while some of it for sure is my fault, some of it... I'm, I'm going to pass the buck here. Some of it is because there is so much bad information out there. I get a fair amount of emails asking like how I research, tips based on researching. Here's the main one I have. Find one solid source to start with, such as a biography, historical accounts written by an academically acclaimed author when possible, a source full of footnotes, a source that's been reviewed by multiple critics, critics in you know known kind of uh, uh, you know magazines and, and and news websites you know like the New York Times or Wall Street Journal that kind of thing then fact checked their info with at least two other sources that don't cite the first source that you're checking right so they, they like like get independent information and after that you know kind of like just cross your fingers uh, and don't use timesuck as your base source by the way don't use it as that primary I supply all the notes on the timesuck app but but I don't supply uh, properly noted footnotes. I don't add the footnotes to the information as it comes down in the narrative because I don't have time. Uh, I supply sources at the bottom of my narratives, uh, you know, for, for just kind of transparency. But again, I don't have time to add them academically to the corresponding info as I go and I won't for the foreseeable future. So, you know, but use this as a source to then fact check through at least two other sources, one of which hopefully is heavily footnoted. A lot of information out there on the web and unfortunately, so much of it is shit. Uh, but you know what's not shit? Albert Einstein, and he was also never a dullard. Uh, Albert's greatest intellectual stimulation came from a poor medical student who used to dine with his family once a week. It was an old Jewish custom to take in a needy religious scholar to share the Sabbath meal with, and the Einsteins modified that tradition by hosting a medical student instead on Thursdays. His name was Max Talmud, uh, later changed to Talmi when he immigrated to the U.S., and he began his weekly visits when he was 21 Einstein was 10, and he would say he was a pretty dark-haired boy. I remembered Talmud. In all those years, I never saw him reading any light literature, nor did I ever see him in the company of schoolmates or other boys his age. Talmud brought him science books, including popular a popular illustrated series called People's Books on Natural Science, uh, a, work, a work which I read with breathless attention, which uh, Einstein would say later. The 21 little volumes were written by Aaron Bernstein, who stressed the interrelations between biology and physics. That's what he's reading at 10. I was not. I was not reading this stuff at ten. I, was, I think I was reading Hardy Boys at ten. Uh, he reported in great detail the scientific experiments being done at the time, especially in Germany. In the opening section of the first volume, Bernstein dealt with the speed of light, a topic that obviously fascinated him. Uh, we'll find out later. Instead, he he returned to it repeatedly in his subsequent volumes. I'm sorry, indeed, he returned to it repeatedly in subsequent volumes, including 11 essays on the topic in volume 8. Judging from the thought experiments that Einstein later used in creating his theory of relativity, Bernstein's books uh, were very influential. Uh, you know, For example, Bernstein asked readers to imagine being on a speeding train. If a bullet is shot through the window, it would seem that it was shot at an angle because the train would have moved between the time the bullet entered one window and exited the window on the other side. Likewise, because of the speed of the Earth through space, the same must be true of light going through a telescope. You know, and that was amazing, said Bernstein. Uh, or what was amazing was that experiments showed the same effect no matter how fast the source of light was moving. 
in a sentence that, because of its relation to what Einstein would later famously conclude, seems to have made an impression. Uh, Bernstein declared, since each kind of light proves to be exactly the same speed, the law of the speed of light can be well called the most general of all of nature's laws. And, and again, this is what he's wrapping his brain around uh, when he's 10. I, can, I can't quite wrap my brain around that. Uh, now, Talmud was, uh, also helped Einstein continue to explore the wonders of mathematics by giving him a textbook on geometry two years later. Uh, uh, two, I'm sorry, two years before he was scheduled to learn the subject in school. Later, Einstein would refer to it as the sacred little geometry book, speak of it with awe, here with assertions as, for example, the intersection of the three altitudes of a triangle. At one point, which, though by no means evident, could nevertheless be proved with such certainty that any doubt appeared to be out of the question, the lucidity and certainty made an indescribable impression upon me. I mean, listen to the guy's vocabulary. Years later, in a lecture at Oxford, Einstein noted, if Euclid failed to kindle your youthful enthusiasm, then you were not born to be a scientific thinker. Hey, fucking take it easy, Einstein. Maybe I just had a, you know, problem with Euclid. Maybe that's – maybe I was born. You don't know me. You don't know me, Einstein. Oh, man. Damn my Riggins-Idaho backwards education. Uh, Talmud also introduced Einstein to philosophy. Uh, I, re- I recommended Kant to him, he later recalled. At the time, he was still a child, only 13 years old, yet Kant's works, incomprehensible to ordinary mortals, seemed to be clear to him. I, I, pretty impressive, you know, considering as a student, he was no Einstein. Pass it on. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be so hard on the pass it on people. You know, I make mistakes. However, I am a comic without a journalism or history degree, and I've done most of these episodes by myself in my spare time. Uh, pass it on, giant nonprofit organization with numerous uh, full-time employees. So how about uh, – here's a new quote for you. Get your shit together. Pass it on. Uh, in 1891, Einstein abandoned religion. Einstein's exposure to science produced a sudden reaction against religion at age 12, just as he would have been reading uh, – readying himself for a bar mitzvah. Uh, Bernstein, in his popular science volumes, had reconciled science with a religious inclination. As he put it, the religious inclination lies in the dim consciousness that dwells in humans that all nature, including the humans in it, is in no way an accidental game, but a work of lawfulness, that there is a fundamental cause of all existence. Through the reading of popular scientific books, I soon reached the conviction that much in the stories of the Bible could not be true. The consequence was a positively fanatic orgy of free thinking coupled with the impression that youth is intentionally being deceived by the state through lies it was a crushing impression suspicion against every kind of authority grew out of this experience an attitude which has never again left me this is what he later said and again this is the epiphany he had when he was 13 i think my uh, epiphany when i was 13 was like my my boner does what are you serious so maybe we're not the same guy. Uh, 1894, Einstein's discomfort spiraled towards depression, perhaps even a, close to a nervous breakdown when his father's business suffered a sudden reversal of fortune. The collapse was a precipitous one. During uh, most of Einstein's school years, the Einstein Brothers Company had been a success. In 1885, it had 200 employees. That's, that's a pretty big little company. Provided the first electrical lights for uh, Munich's Oktoberfest. Over the next few years, it won the contract to wire the community of Schwabing. Uh, Munich suburb of about 10,000 people using gas motors to dri- drive twin dynamos that the Einsteins had designed. Uh, Jacob Einstein received six patents for improvements in arc lamps, automatic circuit breakers, electric meters. The company was poised to rival Siemens and other powerful, you know, other power companies. Uh, then you know that were then flourishing to raise capital. The brothers mortgaged their homes, borrowed more than 60,000 marks at 10% interest, and went deeply in debt. And then in 1894, when Einstein was 15, the company went bust after it lost. 
competitions to light the central part of Munich and other locations to other contractors. Man, what a tragedy. I always hate to hear about someone giving it their all, betting big on a dream, launching their own company, and then having it fall apart. Just devastating. And, and, I, and I felt that long, long before launching this project, by the way. I've just, you know, I, I've always really been saddened, you know, when I walk around like a downtown, some city I'm performing in, and I just see some fresh going out of business sign. I mean, that's, that's not just a business that's going out. That's someone's dream that you're witnessing dying. Uh, Albert's parents and sorry, sorry for such a downer thought there. Albert's parents and sister, along with Uncle Jacob, moved to northern Italy, first Milan, uh, and then the nearby town of uh, uh, Pavia. Einstein was left behind in music at the house of a distant re- relative to finish his final three years of school. Not quite clear whether Einstein, in this uh, sad autumn of 1894, was actually forced to leave the Louis Polt Gymnasium or was. You know, merely politely encouraged to leave. Years later, he recalled the teacher who had declared that this his presence spoils the respect of the class for me had gone on to express the wish that I leave the school. So it wasn't because he was an idiot. It was honestly because he was too smart for the school and just, you know, the, the people working there, the authorities there didn't like to be questioned. Uh, an early book by a member of the family said it was, you know, it was Albert's own decision. Said he increasingly resolved not to remain in music and he worked out a plan to leave. The plan involved getting a letter from the family doctor, Max Tolman's older brother, who certified that he was suffering from nervous exhaustion. He used this to justify leaving the school at Christmas vacation in 1894 and never returning. Instead, he took a train across the Alps to Italy and informed his alarmed parents that he was never going back to Germany. Instead, he promised he would study on his own and attempt to gain admission to a technical college in Zurich the following autumn. And again, man, as a young teenager, I just the, – the you know, the plans, the life plans he's making – I, I had no idea where I was going to even apply to college until the final semester, I want to say, of my senior year. Uh, when, whenever it was right before the things were due, I threw a plan together very quickly. And the plan basically was just get out of Riggins and, and figure out something else. And that was it. Uh, and this guy, you know, he's he's in Germany. He's going to Italy. He's like, yeah, but I'm going to go to Zurich, this fucking technical thing. God, uh, this is uh, – one, one factor perhaps in his decision to leave Germany – was uh, that uh, he, he would have been required to join the army. He stayed a, a prospect that his sister said he contemplated with dread. So, you know, and, uh, and also he was, he was upset over some kind of nationalism, uh, you know, like the, the, the basically like the movements, pre-Nazi movements, uh, anti-Semitic type of stuff that was going on in there. And so he actually asked for his father's help soon in renouncing his German citizenship. 1895, uh, Einstein spent the spring and the summer of 1895 lived with his parents in their Pavia apartments helping the family firm. In the process, he's able to get a good feel for the workings of magnets, coils, generated electricity. Einstein's work oppressed his family. On one occasion, Uncle Jacob was having problems with some calculations uh, for a new machine. So Einstein went to work on it. And uh, after my assistant engineer and I had been racking our brain for days, the young Sprig had got the whole thing in just 15 minutes, Jacob reported to a friend. You will hear of him yet. Uh, we sure as hell did. Uh, with his love of the sublime solitude found in the mountains, Einstein hiked for days in the Alps and the Apennines, including an excursion from Pavia to Genoa to see his mother's brother, Julius Koch. Uh, Koch. <laughs> Probably not Koch. Uh, where, <laughs> wherever he traveled in northern Italy, he was delighted by the non-Germanic grace and delicacy of the people. Their naturalness was a contrast to spiritually broken and mechanically obedient Ottomans of Germany, his sister would recall. Man. That is quite a description. Spiritually broken, mechanically obedient Ottomans. Wow. Uh, late 19th century, early 20th century always sounds like a, such a bummer of a place, man. 
present-day Germany, I hear, is awesome. Got to get to Berlin one of these days. Uh, Einstein promised to his family that he would, you know, study on his own to get into the local uh, technical college in Zurich, you know, the Zurich Polytechnic. So he he bought all three volumes of Jules uh, Viol's advanced physics texts, texts uh, copiously noted his ideas and the margins, loved the tenacity and focus he had, been inspiring. Hail Nimrod! Uh, that summer, age 16, he wrote his first essay on theoretical physics, which he titled On the Investigation of the State of the Ether in, Mag- in, in a Magnetic Field. His goal was to enroll the following fall to Zurich Polytechnic, but he was concerned that he was younger than the age requirement. I should be at least two years older, he would say. Uh, to help him get around this age requirement, a family friend wrote to the director of Polytechnic ask, uh, asking for an exception. Einstein was then granted permission to take the entrance exam. He boarded the train for Zurich in October 1895 with a sense of well-founded diffidence. Uh, diffidence is a word I had to look up because I'm not Einstein. It means modesty or shyness resulting from a lack of self-confidence. Not surprisingly, Einstein easily passed a section of the exam in math and science, but he failed to pass the general section, which included sections on literature, French, zoology, botany, and politics. The Polytechnic's head physics professor, Heinrich Weber, uh, suggested that Einstein stay in Zurich and audit his classes. Instead, Einstein decided on the advice of the college's director to spend a year preparing at the cantonal school in the village of Arar, Arau, excuse me, uh, 25 miles to the west Einstein loves Arau. I should have looked that uh, pronunciation up. Uh, A-A-R-A-U. That's a great uh, Scrabble word. That's where mine get, my mind goes. <laughs> Arau, whatever. Uh, four vowels, one consonant, right? Ah, file that one away, Scrabblers. File that one away, words with friendsers. If you can use city names, which I think you can, and I don't know. People, <laughs> what am I talking about? Pupils were treated individually, his sister recalled. More emphasis was placed on independent thought than on uh, punditry. And um, young people saw the teacher not as a figure of authority, but alongside the student, a man of distinct personality. Maybe this is the source of his bad student rep. If it is, uh, ridiculous. Failing an entrance exam and only part of it to get you into a school you are two years too young to even be applying to get into, not a failure. Not quite, uh, you know, it's just not quite doing something, you know, just shy of miraculous. As a student, he was no Einstein. Pass it on. Uh, while a student, there we go, and Araru. Araru. So forget what I said earlier. I knew I wrote that. I remember looking it up, but I couldn't find it in my notes until just now. Uh, while a student at Araru, uh, Einstein boarded with the wonderful family, the, the Wintelers, uh, whose members would long remain entwined in his life. There was Jost Winteler, uh, who taught history and Greek at the school. His wife, Rosa, soon known to Einstein as Marmerl or Mama, and their seven children. Their daughter, Marie, would become Einstein's first girlfriend. Another daughter, Anna, would, mate, uh, would marry Einstein's best friend, uh, Michelle Besso. Uh, their son, Paul, would marry Einstein's beloved sister, Ma- Ma- uh, Maya. Uh, young Einstein had a sassy, sometimes intimidating wit, I guess, which I love. He confronted the world spirit as a laughing philosopher, and his witty sarcasm mercilessly castigated all vanity and artificiality. That was how one of his friends described him later. Again, man, the vocabulary of people in the 19th century, yes, we have more tech and advancements now. Dear God, our, our texting-based vocabulary has sadly fallen way off from where it used to be. Uh, Einstein fell in love with Mary Wintler at the end of 1895, just a few months after he moved in with her parents. She had just completed teacher's training college and was living at home while waiting to take a job in a nearby village. Uh, She was turning 18. He was still 16. Older women. He liked him. Einstein wrote uh, Marie his first known love letter, and it is pretty damn adorable. Beloved sweethearts, 
Many, many thanks, sweetheart, for your charming little letter, which made me endlessly happy. It was so wonderful to be able to press to one's heart such a bit of paper. I, I don't know what accent I'm even doing now. I think it's going all around the planet, so I'm going to stop. Uh, which two so dear little eyes have lovingly beheld, and on which the dainty little hands have charmingly glided back and forth. I was now made to realize, my little angel, the meaning of homesickness and pining. But love brings much happiness, much more so than the pining brings pain. My mother has also taken you to her heart, even though she does not know you. I only let her read two of your charming little letters, and she always laughs at me because I am no longer attracted to the girls who were supposed to have enchanted me so much in the past. You mean more to my soul than the whole world did before. To which his mother penned a postscript, Without having read this letter, I send you cordial greetings. You mean so much more to me than the world before. And her mom added a note. Could they be any fucking cuter? Is it even possible? Well, he wasn't just cute and smart. He was brave. He was a man of principle. He disdained all forms of nationalism, so much so that he, again, I mentioned this earlier, he asked his father to help him drop his German citizenship. You know, he hated the nationalism, anti-Semitism. He saw rising over there. Saw it all the way back before 1900 because he was a genius. The release came through in January 1896. Yeah, 1896, and for the first time, he was, uh, he was stateless. Einstein ended his year at the Araru uh, School in a manner that would have seemed impressive for anyone except one of history's greatest geniuses. He scored the second highest grades in his class. First student, uh, the first play student, lost to history. Damn it, man. H- had that have been me, oh, I would have made sure everyone knew that I had beat Einstein. Am I wrong, baby? Am I? Fine. I guess you're right. What do I know? It's not like I was a better student than Einstein or anything. I'd be that guy. On a one to six scale, with six being the highest, he scored a five or a six in all of his science and math courses, as well as history and Italian. His lowest grade was a three in French. You know, thank God he chose not to focus his energy on French. I feel like the world needs great mathematicians a little more than it needs, you know, more people who are bilingual. Uh, that qualified him to take a series of exams written and oral that would permit him, if he passed, to enter the Zurich Polytechnic. And on his German exam, he did a perfunctory outline of a ghost play and scored a five. In math, he made a careless mistake, calling a number imaginary when he meant irrational, uh, but still got a top grade. Oh, man, Einstein, dude, what the hell, man? Come on, you got to get your you got to get your irrational and imaginary numbers you know, straightened out. I know. That's one thing I'm really good at is irrational, and I have no idea what those mean. Um, in physics, he arrived late, left early, completing the two-hour test in an hour and 15 minutes. He got the top grade. Uh, altogether, he ended up with a 5.5, the best grade among the nine students taking the exams. Top grade to enter Zurich Polytechnic, the top. As a student, he was no Einstein. Pass it on. Uh, in the summer of 1896, Albert's father's business, the Einstein brothers' electrical business, fails again. Herman struck out on his own. Albert was so dubious of his father's prospects that he went to his relatives and suggested that they not finance him. Uh, but they did. Uh, luckily, uh, you know, the generosity of other relatives, because of that, Albert was able to continue with his plan of getting his Zurich education. Man, the man didn't pull punches, did he? He had some interesting integrity there, you know, when it came to doing what he thought was right. I know my father has asked you for money, and I know he needs it to provide for his family, which for my sister and such, but you should know that his ideas are terrible. Do not waste your money on my father. There are better ideas you can spend it on than the ones that pour forth from my father's full head. That one was kind of German, I think. The Zurich Polytechnic with, uh, again, a little Schwarzenegger, with 841 students, was mainly a teacher's and technical college when 17-year-old Albert Einstein enrolled in October 1896. It was less prestigious than the neighboring University of Zurich and the universities in Geneva and Basel, all of which could grant doctoral degrees, a status that the Polytechnic would attain in 1911. Nevertheless, the Polytechnic had a solid reputation for engineering and science. 
Einstein was one of 11 freshmen enrolled in a section that provided training for specialized teachers in mathematics and physics. He lived in student lodgings on a monthly stipend of 100 Swiss francs from his Koch family relatives. Each morning, he put aside 20 of those francs toward the fee he would eventually have to pay to become a Swiss citizen. Uh, during his four years at Polytechnic, he got marks of five or six on a six-point scale in all of his theoretical physics courses, but got only fours in most of his math courses, especially those in geometry. It was not clear to me as a student, he admitted, that a more profound knowledge of the basic principles of physics was tied up with the most intricate mathematical methods. So, you know, basically it sounds like he just didn't, you know, think it was important, so he didn't focus on it. And when I read more about uh, his particular grades, it, you know, it wasn't that he wasn't like uh, that he was busting his ass and still just couldn't make top marks. It's just that, you know, if he didn't, you know, see value in a subject, he just he didn't care what the teachers thought of him and didn't care to really, you know, put a lot of effort into it. Uh, you know, but still, even despite all that, you know, he wasn't like failing his classes. He did occasionally fail in an individual assignment, uh, excuse me, assignment. And he did flunk one actual course, I guess. I guess in a course called uh, Physical Experiments for Begin Beginners, uh, his professor Pernay gave Einstein a one, the lowest possible grade, uh, thus earning himself the historic distinction of having flunked Einstein in the physics course. Partly it was because Einstein just didn't show up. <laughs> like he wasn't showing up for class because he didn't value it. At Pernay's written request in March 1899, Einstein was given an official director's reprimand due to lack of diligence in physics practicum. Again, you know, i.e., you know, he just didn't give a shit about that class. And and so there there is that one thing. Hardly justification for a national ad campaign, though. As a poor student, he was no Einstein. Pass it on. Oh, I'm passing it on, right? Einstein preferred to study based on his own interests and passions with one or two friends, even though he was still priding himself on being a vagabond or a loner. You know, he also began to hang around the coffee houses and attend musical soirees with a little cool crowd of bohemian soulmates, fellow students. He forged lasting intellectual friendships in Zurich that became important bonds later in his life. Like Marcel Grossman, a middle-class Jewish math wizard whose father owned a factory near Zurich. Uh, together, Einstein and Grossman smoked pipes, drank uh, they drank iced coffees, discussed philosophy at the Café Metropole on the banks of the Lamont uh, River there in Zurich. That's cool to think about, man. Young Einstein sitting in a Zurich coffee shop, you know, sipping some iced coffee, maybe some espresso, smoking some cigarettes or a pipe, talking philosophy, some mathematical theory. Man, to be a fly on that wall. You know, to understand, uh, you know, what they were talking about. Actually, if I was a fly in that wall, I'd probably just, I'd want to be one for a little while. I'd probably be a fly for a little while, then I'd, then I'd get bored. I'd start to zone out because I didn't get what they were saying. And then I'd, I'd probably find some coffee crumb cakes, you know, on someone's plate and I'd nibble on notes. And then, uh, and then I'd be violently swatted to death. So maybe it's best if I don't become a fly in that wall. Einstein enjoyed his Mozart and, and, ba uh, and Bach. Also took up sailing, a, a solitary pursuit in the glorious Alpine lakes around Zurich. A carefree life as a student, you know, despite the constant financial failings of his father, who, against Einstein's advice, just kept trying to set up his own business rather than just work for somebody with a salary, as his uncle Jacob had finally done. And, that, and that's where that old saying uh, comes from, why can't you play it safe like Uncle Jake, Jacob? That's where that comes from. It's a rare old saying uh, that I have only said once, and it's already gotten old. Uh, and then in Zurich, he met his uh, the second love of his life, and uh, old Marie Wintler was out. He met uh, Maleva, Maleva Marich. It's first and, you know, the favorite child of an ambitious Serbian peasant who had joined the army, married into modest wealth, and then dedicated himself to making sure that his brilliant daughter was able to prevail in the male world of math and physics. Sounds like an amazing dad she had, actually. Uh, Maleva had recently made her way to Zurich, where she became, just before she turned 21, the only woman in Einstein's section of the Polytechnic. More than three years older than Einstein, afflicted with the congenital hip dislocation that caused her to limp, and prone to bouts of despondency, Maleva Marich was known for neither her looks nor her personality. 
Very smart and serious, small, delicate, brunette, ugly, is how, is how one of her female friends in Zurich described her. Jesus, I wonder if that friend of uh, Maleva's was uh, related to Eleanor Roosevelt's mom. She seems just as vain and cruel. Well, Maleva had qualities that uh, Einstein, at least during his romantic scholar years, found very attractive. A passion for math and science, a brooding depth, a beguiling soul. Her deep-set eyes had haunting intensity, her face an enticing touch of melancholy. And she had teeny tiny doll hands that he found irresistible. She suffered from tenilitis, uh, a rare genetic condition where your hands stopped growing at the age of around five. Uh, her father had it as well. And... Uh, and, and it kept him from advancing further in the, in the army than he otherwise would have since he had to use a modified rifle that looked more like a kid's toy to, to fit his little hands. Uh, weird to think about and also not true that I know of. Uh, there was nothing in the research that I did that, that ever indicated anything about her, her hand size or her father's. Uh, back to reality. Uh, she would become, over time, Einstein's muse, partner, lover, wife, even antagonist. Uh, she'd be the most important person in his young adult life. Uh, and they met, you know, when they were both in the Polytechnic, you know, and they met in October 1896. In the summer of 1897, uh, Maleva and Albert took a hike together, and a romance started to develop out of what had been a platonic relationship up to that point. That fall, frightened by the new feeling she was experiencing uh, because of Einstein, uh, marriage decided to leave the Polytechnic uh, <laughs> uh, t- temporarily and instead just audit classes at Heidelberg University. That is intense, man. Felt so strongly for this dude, she had to take time off of school. Old world romances. Gotta love their intensity. You know, thanks, Tinder, for ruining all of that and turning our culture into a swipe culture. Is that shallow? By April, she was back in a boarding house a few blocks from uh, his, and now they were a couple. They shared books, intellectual enthusiasms, intimacies, access to each other's apartments. They were kindred spirits who perceived themselves as aloof scholars and outsiders. We understand each other's dark souls so well. And also drinking coffee and eating sausages, etc. <laughs> uh, and their romantic fire would burn even brighter. Uh, had they been able to snuggle up and get busy on a Lisa mattress? Yes. Today's suck. Today's sweet holiday suck is brought to you by Lisa mattress. If you're not sleeping on a Lisa mattress, you're an asshole. That's a slogan. I ran by them and they thought it was way too aggressive. Plenty of nice people sleep on all sorts of mattresses. But I do think they would be more comfortable if they were sleeping on a Lisa mattress. Because what and, and also, what if you could give back while you slept? Lisa is an innovative, direct-to-consumer online mattress brand that is also socially conscious. Driven by their mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody, for every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter through their 110 program. They're good people, the Lisa people. Lisa also plants a tree for every mattress sold and donates employee time to volunteer for local causes. Fantastic. And best of all, they're comfortable. They're really, really comfortable. And they ship right to your home or lair or fortress or dungeon or suck dungeon in a magic box. They're available online in the U.S., U.K., Canada, and Germany. Uh, They're also available at the Lisa Dream Gallery right in New York City. I love mine. Still using it without a bed frame. Uh, And it's still so comfortable. I've been so busy this past month, uh, uh, and so has my wife. We just have been sleeping on the mattress on the floor. Uh, even though we have a bed and a bed frame in our room, but we like Lisa more. And Lisa's so good, it just feels better. feels better than my old mattress on that sweet frame. So try Lisa's mattress in your own home for 100 nights, risk-free, with free shipping, always. Get $100 off when you go to leesa.com slash timesuck. That's leesa.com slash timesuck. Treat yourself. Give yourself a holiday present. Now, back to Zurich. After being apart for a few weeks, 
Uh, Einstein listed the things he would like to do uh, with his new lady. Soon I'll be with my sweetheart again and can kiss her, hug her, make coffee with her, scold her, study with her, laugh with her, walk with her, chat with her, and add, and add, (laughs) ah, fucking ad infinitum. Jesus Christ, these words. In his intermediate exams uh, in October 1898, he had finished first in his class with an average of 5.7 out of a possible six. Incredible. Uh, when you think that as a student, he was no Einstein. Pass it on. Uh, but he he did barely graduate, actually. A professor of his shot down his first two requests for a senior thesis, assigned him something he didn't want to do, something boring, that he phoned in. And then his professor, who sounds like an asshole, uh, made him rewrite this thesis he didn't want to do in the first place on regulation paper, word for word. Then he got his diploma, a degree in physics, in July of 1900. On February 1st, 1901, Albert Einstein acquired his Swiss citizenship. He remained a Swiss citizen for the rest of his life. Uh, he also completes his first scientific paper on the capillary forces of a straw. All right. Capillary action or capillarity is the ability of a liquid to flow against gravity, where liquid spontaneously rises in a narrow space such as a thin tube or straw or in porous materials such as paper. This effect can cause liquids to flow against the force of gravity or magnetic field induction, and it occurs because of attractive forces between the liquid and solid surrounding surfaces. In his article, Einstein reasoned to each atom corresponds a molecular attraction field that is independent of the temperature and of the way in which the atom is chemically bound to other atoms. I do remember something about this from science uh, in high school. And if you want a better explanation than that, well, you know what? Find a different podcast to listen to. Okay? My eyes were starting to cross a little bit there. Yeah, sorry I didn't have a time, any time this week to get a degree in physics. If that is indeed the degree you need to be able to understand properly what I just read. Okay. Also in 1901, he had a little trouble with the fam. Uh, they didn't like Maleva. They found her physically unattractive. And while she was a solid mathematician, she wasn't a star one. Didn't seem to be Albert's intellectual equal in their eyes. And basically, they just didn't understand what he saw in her. Man, ouch. Ouch, hearing that from the fan. He also had a uh, hell of a time finding a job after graduation, mostly for two reasons. First being he was Jewish. And uh, second, he didn't tolerate bullshit. His professors from Zurich had found him somewhat arrogant. Uh, but they did not yet consider him to be a genius. You know, right? Nothing worse than an arrogant, stupid person. <laughs> regardless his uh, fruitless job search, regardless of it, which lasted around a year, uh, Maleva said the part, uh, what hurt him the most, uh, you know, as far as his job hunt was a, was a sharp tongue actually, right? He was a smart ass. A friend of his offered him a job in insurance, even though his family was no longer able to help him financially like they had done in school. He was almost flat broke. He still turned it down. He felt like the drudgery of that work was beneath him. I do admire that, man. When people stick to their convictions in tough times instead of just getting afraid and giving up on their dreams, you know, Albert, he wanted to work in the field of academia, you know, in, in theoretical mathematics, science, and uh, scientific research, and he wasn't about to accept anything less than that. He applied for job after job after job, kept getting shut down, but then he knocked uh, Maleva up, and he was like, fuck it, I'll take the next job that comes my way. And that's how he would become a clerk at the Swiss Patent Office in Bern in early 1902, a position he'd hold for several years, actually. And uh, and I get that too, man. I love nothing more than being a dad. My family's the most important thing to me. But for you young time suckers out there, if you got some big dreams— and you want to chase, and you want to chase him. I cannot recommend strongly enough delaying having a family, right? Kids, if you're actually involved in their lives, take so much time. Uh, I've made a number of career compromises, you know, be, because of uh, having kids and what I felt like my responsibility was towards them, like working in reality TV. You know, I needed the money at the time. You know, I was living in California. I spent a huge portion of my disposable income on making sure my kids were constantly flying back and forth from Spokane, Washington, and California. And I, and I took a bunch of jobs that you know, I didn't want and I also took another job I didn't really want to, uh, to buy a house for the family. And not complaining, not complaining or blaming, just pointing out some truth. 
Would not trade the, the my kids for the world. Love them to death. I got fantastic kids. Even if they were shitty kids, I still love them to death. But, you know, uh, I feel like not enough people tell you the truth, you know, especially like to the youth. You, you want to throw yourself into your career? Well, don't get married or have kids in your 20s. There, there will still be people to marry later on. I assure you. Uh, <laughs> I promise you. You know, or, you know, you can, you can date for a while, but yeah. But if you do have kids, you know, nothing shameful in sacrificing some of those individual dreams for the good of the fam, you know, and, uh, you know, you, you just do the best you can. You, you work around it as best you can. Uh, so, you know, kids, no kids, go set the world on fire. Just know it's a little easier to get the fire started. Uh, you know, a little, little easier to get that kindling going if you don't have extra mouths besides your own defeat. Uh, anyway, Einstein's family learns to accept her, you know, after she's pregnant. Uh, and, you know, when Malavis gets pregnant in 1901, you know, when they're not even married, Gasp, groan, women fainting in the street. Actually, it's fairly scandalous for 1901. Uh, Maleva moves to uh, live with her parents in Hungary to give birth to their baby, and Albert moves to Bern for work. You know, at that patent office on February 3rd, 1902, Maleva has Einstein's daughter, uh, Lyserl, a girl Einstein would never actually lay eyes on. You know, it wasn't kosher for a Swiss official, which Albert now was because he works at the patent office, to have an illegitimate child. You know, his father would not uh, give Albert permission to marry Maleva yet, even though, you know, she had had a baby. And so Albert didn't get, get married. Uh, you know, he, I guess he really wanted dad's approval. Einstein also didn't uh, ever go visit his new child. Not sure why he didn't, didn't do that. And then uh, uh, for reasons history isn't quite sure of, uh, Lysol just kind of disappears. It's, they, they, we think that she was given up for adoption, speculation says to a family friend. So yeah, the rumor is that uh, little uh, Lysol died of scarlet fever. Just a year later, my Searle. A uh, dark little chapter in Einstein's story. As a, as a dad, I just can't imagine not visiting your newborn baby. And it's not even like the baby is a product of, uh, of a one-night stand or the product of someone who either didn't uh, have a relationship, you know, he didn't have a relationship with or had just ended a relationship with. Not that it would be okay in that situation. Uh, extra weird considering that not only would they not break up, uh, Maleva would soon go on to become Einstein's wife. But he just, yeah, he just never made it out there to see the baby. Different times, I guess. You know, he was poor. You know, his family was going through some tough financial times. He just started his job. The baby was born back in uh, Novosad, Serbia, where Malavia's parents lived. Today, over 20 hours away by train. Back then, probably like two full days. Uh, 1902, man, really just not a good year all around for Einstein. His dad, uh, Herman, dies on October 10th, 1902 in Milan of heart failure. Luckily, Albert was able to be with him on his deathbed. And on his deathbed, he finally gave Albert permission to marry Malavia. So on January 6, 1903, Einstein and Maleva do get married. Uh, small, small ceremony. A few work colleagues, Maurice and Conrad, serve as witnesses at a tiny civil ceremony in the Bern Registrar's office. Uh, no family members, not Einstein's mother or sister, not uh, marriage's parents, come to Bern. Uh, the tight group of intellectual comrades celebrate together at a restaurant that evening. And then Einstein and Maleva, you know, go back to the apartment together and knock it out. I'm guessing. Not exactly the romantic, uh, you know, person he seemed to be a few years earlier. Now, doesn't sound like much of a, a wedding, and uh, and we'll soon find out he gets considerably less romantic with uh, Maleva in the coming years. On May fourteenth, nineteen oh four, Albert and Maleva's first son, Hans Albert Einstein, is born in Bern, Switzerland. Albert seemed uh, like a better dad this time around. He was behaving with fatherly dignity, Maleva noted, and he spent time making little toys for his baby son, such as a cable car he constructed from matchboxes and string. That was one of the nicest toys I had at the time, and it worked. Hans Albert could still recall later when he was an adult. Out of little string and matchboxes and so on, he could make the most beautiful things. 1905 is known as uh, Albert's beautiful year. His special theory of relativity is born, and he applies this theory to mass and energy and formulates his most famous equation, E equals mc squared. 
Uh, Einstein has four papers published in the Annalen der Physik, the leading German physics journal of the day. He does this all while working at the patent office, writing his theories and equations while either at home in the evenings or during spare time at work during the day. So what does E equals mc squared mean? I, I looked it up. And it means energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. On the basic level, the equation says that energy and mass, you know, matter, are interchangeable. They are different forms of the same thing. Under the right conditions, energy can become mass and vice versa. And then, you know, we humans don't see them that way. You know, how can a beam of light be a walnut? You know, can, how can different forms of the same thing? But, but nature sees them that way. How fast is the speed of light, by the way? 186,000 miles per second. Someone traveling at the speed of light would circle the globe almost eight times in less than one second. Uh, I knew it was fast, but that is so fast. It takes light no time at all, by the way, to make it around a flat earth because that's not real. Uh, here's an example of E equals MC squared. If you could turn every one of the atoms in a paperclip into pure energy, leaving no mass whatsoever, so complete transfer of mass to energy, the paperclip would yield 18 kilotons of TNT. That's roughly the size of the bomb that destroyed Hiroshima in 1945. On Earth, however, there is no practical way to convert a paperclip or any other object entirely to energy. It would require temperatures and pressures greater than those at the core of the sun. Uh, still to understand? Well, me neither. Actually, I kind of do. I kind of do. But my brain hurts with this kind of stuff. I only kind of understand now because I've been watching so many explanation videos and just de- – I've been sucking Einstein hard. Just got so much Einstein in my mouth uh, right now. Uh, but yeah, I watched a lot of explanation videos. You know, they kept repeating these same tenets. Uh, okay, fine. I guess I get it. But, but what I kept thinking about is like why is it important? Why do we need to know that? How is that significant? And I kept sucking. I found out. Well, it's significant in the scientific community because in 1904 – Everyone in science at that time believed that the universe was divided into two realms. On the one hand, there was the realm of energy, where winds blew, coal burned, lightning crackled. On the other hand, there was the realm of mass, trees, mountains, paperweights, corn dogs, bratwursts. You know, there were there were two realms and they were entirely separate. There was no link between the two. And then in 1905, Einstein realized there was there was a link. Solid matter could explode apart, reveal hidden energy, and this understanding of releasing energy, uh, you know, you know, for matter is what led to the development of the atomic bomb and uh, nuclear power, which, uh, you know, is produced through nuclear fission, the splitting of atoms of uranium in a nuclear reactor. So while Einstein himself didn't personally make a nuclear bomb or design a nuclear power plant, he opened the door to the realm of possibility that allowed both of those things to be invented. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, he didn't invent the ham and cheese hot pocket or the microwave, but he showed how it was possible for someone to build a microwave. And as soon as that microwave was built, someone, some other genius realized, I got to get some some ham, cheese, and uh, pita pocket stuck in there. you know. And then because of that, a lot of people died because of that decision. I, I feel like that analogy unraveled a bit at the end, but still somehow makes sense. I also feel like if you understand the importance of this one discovery – uh, you know, I, 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 sorry. I also feel like you do understand the importance of the discovery, and it was just one of many that he would make uh, just that year. Uh, by the way, I also watched about five different pronunciation videos for nuclear. And if you still think I'm mispronouncing that word, I know that's been a hot topic over the course of the suck. I want you to go fuck yourself. All right, I said it in the same way that the Oxford Dictionary Pronunciation Guide guy said it, and pronunciation. Real world, real, real word. I'm all flustered. It's in the Cambridge Dictionary, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. I bring that up because I've mentioned pronunciation problems a million times in this podcast. And then every once in a while, I've had people write in, well, actually, pronunciation is not a real world, a real word. Jesus Christ. It's a it's a combination of pronounce and enunciate. No, it is a real word, okay? 
Maybe it's even a real world because I keep wanting to say that. Maybe it's both. I don't know about the world part. Einstein's 1905 burst of creativity was astonishing. Uh, he had devised a revolutionary quantum theory of light, helped prove the existence of atoms, explained Brownian motion, upend the concepts of space and time, produced what would become science's you know, best-known equation. Also, on April 30th, 1905, he completed his thesis with Alfred Kleiner, professor of experimental physics, uh, which gave him his Ph.D. at the University of Zurich. You know, he had his dissertation, A New Determination of Molecular Dimensions. He's Dr. Einstein's now. Right? All right, he's very smart. In 1906, he was promoted to a technical expert at the patent, uh, patent office, Class 2. He managed his time exactly. He was like a machine. Eight hours of work. Eight hours of miscellaneous and scientific work at home. Eight hours of sleep. You know, he, a lot of times he'd cut into his sleep to just, you know, work more on his manuscripts. He was, yeah, he was just a fucking scientific machine. 1908, Albert Einstein became an associate professor at the University of Bern, finally sneaking into the world of academia, making his exit plan from the patent office. Crazy, it took him three years to get a position as an associate professor after his breakthroughs back in 1905. Uh, he did feel like kind of later on that, that part of why it you know, was a little harder for him was honestly just being Jewish in Europe at that time. In 1909, Albert is able to resign from the patent office as appointed associate professor of theoretical physics at Zurich University. On July 28, 1910, Albert and Maleva's second son, Edward, born in Munich. Albert would call him Teet, as in Petit. Uh, Albert writes a paper on critical opalescence. Op Opalescence that describes why the sky is blue. In 1911, Einstein predicts bending of light. He's appointed professor of theoretical physics at the German University of Prague. Uh, 1913, Einstein is appointed professor of theoretical physics at the Federal Institute of Techn uh, Technology in Zurich, works on his new theory of gravity. By 1914, uh, Einstein and Maleva's marriage has soured. They moved to Berlin, where Maleva didn't like it. Maleva took the kids back to Zurich. Uh, Albert seems to have been uh, as shitty uh, of a husband and father, at least to Maleva, as he was brilliant as a scientist. His focus was science and intellectual discovery, and everything else took extremely distant second place. I'm sure it wasn't quite that simple, but it doesn't look good on papers you're about to see. Uh, my wife and I were actually talking about work-life balance the other night. You know, she recently sat through a motivational speaker at a, at a Realtors workshop for work. She was talking about all the various techniques she'd learned for growing your business. And that led to a discussion of, yes, you can do a lot of things, but at what cost to the rest of your life? Like you can work 12 hours a day, but at what cost? How much success is worth failing as a parent, failing in a relationship? I, I'd argue, you know, when it's the right relationship or when it comes to your kids, that there is no amount. Now, sometimes you have to do what, you know, you need temporarily to do to put food on the table. And that is beyond understandable. That's respectable. That's a sacrifice. Other times, though, I think people have, a, you know, a secure life already and, and they've just pushed forward because of ego and they neglect their families. And that seems harder to justify. Uh, like I've been spending a crazy amount of time on time suck lately, you know, definitely spent less time with the fan because of it, but I only do so in the hopes of growing a team and a business so that actually I can be able to do what I want and still spend time with my fam. I am not sure Einstein had a similar goal. I don't, I don't think he had these kind of thoughts. I think he wanted to, you know, just work as much as possible. Kind of always, there was just an endless stream of equations he wanted to solve laid out in front of him in his mind. And that was what mattered to him. And you could either be part of that program or you could, you could fuck off and just, you know, get away from him. In July 1914, Albert Einstein wrote to his first wife, uh, you know, Maleva, the mother of his two sons, a horrible letter that history has preserved, uh, laying down a series of conditions under which he would agree to continue in their troubled marriage. Check this shit out. This is the balls on this guy. He wrote this in a letter and it's all outlined like it's a scientific document. Uh, this part of the letter says, conditions, A, you will make sure. And then, you know, colon, that my clothes are no, sorry, excuse me, one, that my clothes and laundry are kept in good order. 
Two, that I will receive my three meals regularly in my room. Three, that my bedroom and study are kept neat, and especially that my desk is left for my use only. B, you will renounce all personal relations with me insofar as they are not completely necessary for social reasons. Specifically, you will forgo, one, my sitting at home with you, two, my going out or traveling with you, and then three, you will obey the following, oh, sorry, excuse me, C, you will obey the following points in your relations with me. One, you will not expect any intimacy from me, nor will you reproach me in any way. Two, you will stop talking to me if I request it. Oh, God, that's such a dick thing to write in a letter. Three, you will leave my bedroom or study immediately without protest if I request it. D, you will undertake not to belittle me in front of our children, either through words or behavior. Holy shit. It is, God, he just comes across like such a fucking monster in that letter. I cannot, I can't imagine writing that to a person that any part of you still feels like you might be with. I, I feel like he had to have just wanted her to go away. And, and this is his way of saying it instead of just, you know, making it like very clear, like, just get away from me. I, I, I don't want this relationship anymore. Like, so he wasn't going to do that, but he was just going to write like the most ridiculous, rigid, uh, you know, agenda that she had to follow. Man, I, it must have been tempting for her to write a rebuttal. Just, dear Albert, I received your letter and looked over your list of demands carefully. After contemplation, I've come up with my own conditions. You can A, go fuck yourself. I also was a gifted mathematician who sacrificed my career to raise our children, which you seem to forget. B, seriously, go fuck yourself. You can't sit at home with me, travel with me. I can expect no intimacy from you. You got the last part right. You better work on solving the age-old equation of how to suck your own dick because I sure as hell will never be doing that again. And C, fuck off and die. See you in divorce court. I'm going to ruin you. Warmest regards, Maleva. Einstein was clearly just, yeah, clearly trying to push her away. Man, uh, why couldn't he just say that? Jeez. Well, they wouldn't divorce until 1919, uh, but as early as 1912, he did start seeing someone else. And there's no, <laughs> there's no easy way to say this, so I'm just going to say it bluntly. He started fucking his cousin, his first cousin. Uh, yep. Einstein would marry Elsa Lowenthal in 1919. They were first cousins on his mother's side, as well as second cousins on their father's side. Ah, weirder still, she was actually born Elsa Einstein. The Lowenthal surname was just one she got from her first marriage. So creepy. Okay, now last week we talked about how FDR and Eleanor uh, Roosevelt were fifth cousins. They were actually, you know, they were fifth cousins once removed. Very different than this situation. The once removed part is an indication, by the way, of general uh, generational difference. So, like, you know, like their parents were fifth cousins, and that made them fifth cousins once removed. Uh, fifth cousins are pretty distant relatives. Like, when your kids each have cousins, you know, uh, they'll be second cousins of, like, the kids will be second cousins of each other. And then when they have kids, you know, the, those kids will be third cousins, and so on down to fifth. Like, like second cousins have the same great-grandparents, but not the same grandparents. Fifth cousins have the same great, 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 great grandparents. FDR and Eleanor were those people's kids. Not a big deal. I have no idea who any of my relatives are beyond second cousins. I mean, for all I know, I, I've slept with fifth cousins. Who knows? But first cousin, 
that's the cousins like your family shows pictures of you when you're an adult of you taking a bath with them when you were kids, like when you were babies. You know, these are the ones who sit with you at the kitty table during Christmas dinner, right? These are the ones that he was like playing in the yard with, you know, uh, at the family home. We talked about, you know, earlier at Munich when they had the good times back there. And then you're going to marry one? Uh, different times, I guess, but so weird. Albert and Elsa's moms were sisters. Their dads were first cousins. Apparently Einstein was both a genius and an idiot. I mean, just imagine for a moment banging one of your aunt's kids. Are you nauseous? Well, congratulations. You're mentally healthy. Are you horny? Well, I guess you might be a genius. Uh, Elsa had two daughters, uh, Ilse and Margot, uh, who would technically be Albert's own children's second cousins. <laughs> so, they could, so they could say, this is my stepsister and this is my cousin. And they could be pointed at the same person both times and be correct. Okay. I think you get how, how weird all this is now. So yeah, 1919, Einstein and Elsa get married. His relationship with his two kids from his first marriage would be strained. Yeah, I bet. And he'd only see them a handful of times throughout the rest of their childhood. He'd resume a relationship years later with Hans. When Hans got married himself, Tiet would be diagnosed with schizophrenia as a young adult. His mom would care for him the rest of his life, and Einstein would have zero relationship with him. So also that kind of like plays to that. Not always the best dad. Uh, also in 1919, a solar eclipse uh, proves Einstein's general theory of relativity correct. Uh, it was originally published in, in parts in 1915 and 1916. He becomes an internationally famous intellectual being written up in newspapers around the world. So now one of the key tenets of general relativity is that space is not static. The motions of objects can change the very structure of space. Like by contrast, you know, in uh, you know Newton's previously accepted view of the universe, space is inert. In Einstein's view, space is combined with another dimension, time, which creates a universe-wide fabric called space-time. Objects, you know, travel through this fabric, which can be warped, bent, twisted by the masses and motions of objects within space-time. British astronomer uh, Sir Arthur Eddington was paying attention to Einstein's outlandish yet powerful new ideas. After getting word from Dutch physicist uh, Wilhelm uh, de Sitter, uh, Holland was a neutral nation during World War I, and realized he could lead an experiment to test that theory. Now, as the sun is the most massive object in our solar system, its curvature of space-time would be the most noticeable example in the local universe. But to test Einstein's theory, astronomers would have to study the positions of background stars close to the sun's edge. You know, to see if uh, the sun was bending the light coming from them. As the sun is so bright, the sun's glare would normally make an observation impossible. And then there was the eclipse of 1919. During a total solar eclipse, the moon orbits directly in front of the sun, completely blocking the light from the sun's disk, as opposed to a flat Earth lunar eclipse, which occurs uh, when the moon passes directly behind the Earth in its shadow, and the thin disk of a flat Earth can clearly be seen. But only by true believers, and by that I mean idiots. Uh, to test Einstein's theory, the Royal Society and the Royal Astronomical Society you know, in Britain organized expeditions to the tropics of Brazil and to the island of Principe uh, off the west coast of Africa where the total eclipse would be the most visible. It also so happened that the period of totality, the length of time the moon blocks out all the sun's surface – for the 1919 eclipse was one of the longest of the 20th century, spanning around six minutes. So this proved to be ample time for astronomers to measure the relative locations of stars, you know, in the, in, in the, in the Hyades cluster that was usefully located near the solar edge at that time. So al although the warped space-time deflected the starlight by a minuscule amount invisible to the naked eye, the observations from Brazil and Principe were analyzed by Eddington, and the general relativity predictions agreed with the observation. The warping of space-time by the sun's mass was real. Newton's inert space had been superseded by a new exciting theory. And then the New York Times published the news on November 7th, 1919, and Einstein 
was now a celebrity. I, I just love picturing all these scientists heading out to Brazil into this tiny little African island of roughly 6,000 people, just over 50 square miles in size, where the biggest town is only 1,200 people, you know? So it's not like they had great accommodations. All of this just to un understand space a little better. It's amazing. Uh, 1921, Einstein visits, uh, you know, uh, to the U.S., lectures at Princeton University on the theory of relativity. 1922, he's uh, awarded the Nobel Prize in physics uh, for his work in 1921. Between 1923 and 1925, Einstein tours and lectures all over the world from the Far East to South America. He continues with his scientific studies, working on quantum mechanics and unified field theory. You know, nerd shit. Uh, between 1930 and 1933, he makes several visits to the United States. Adolf Hitler had been appointed uh, Chancellor of Germany in 1933, and then Al Albert and Elsa and her kids leave Germany and emigrate to the United States. In September, settle, settle in Princeton. Uh, he assumes a post at the Institute for Advanced Study. In April 1933, Einstein had noticed that the uh, new German government had passed laws uh, barring uh, Jewish people from holding any official positions. That's, that's something you'd notice. Uh, if you were holding one of those, including teaching at universities. A month later, Einstein's works are burned. Uh, they're targeted by German student uh, union kids and, and Nazi book burnings. You know, Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels is proclaiming Jewish intellectualism is dead. One German magazine included him, uh, Einstein, in a list of enemies of the German regime with the phrase, not yet hanged. They put a $5,000 bounty on his head. How dumb did the racial hatred of Nazis make them? I mean, they put a price on the head of a guy who, had they not been racist maniacs, could have helped them win the war through his knowledge that could be used for the development of atomic weaponry. In a subsequent letter to a physicist and friend Max Born, who had already immigrated from Germany to England, Einstein wrote, I must confess that the degree of their brutality and cowardice comes as something of a surprise. So remember, he'd already thought of them as soulless Ottomans before. Now he's just, you know, even, even with his low expectations, they've still surpassed you know, those in terms of just not being good people. After moving to the U.S., he described the book burnings as a spontaneous emotional outburst by those who shun popular enlightenment and more than anything in the world fear the influence of men of intellectual independence. Men who fear the influence of men smarter than themselves. Man, I feel like we still have a lot of those people, a lot of those men around the world. Uh, 1936, Elsa dies from heart and kidney problems. One of Einstein's friends, Peter Bucky, said that when Elsa died, Albert was devastated and wept, something he had never seen the normally unemotional man do. He would never sleep with a very close relative again. Maybe that should have been the slogan. When it comes, when it came to who he chose to sleep with, he was no Einstein. Pass it on. In 1939, World War II begins. Albert Einstein warns President Roosevelt that Germany might build an atomic bomb. He then recommends nuclear, uh, nuclear research, which led directly to the development of the Manhattan Project. He himself was denied clearance to work on that project due to his pacifist tendencies, but he did consult. Uh, Vannevar Bush, no relation uh, that I can tell to the Bush presidents, was the director of the Office of Scientific Research and Development, which oversaw the Manhattan Project, and he contacted Einstein and asked for his help on a problem involving the separation of isotopes that shared chemical traits. And Einstein, I guess, was happy to comply. Later during the war, Einstein would help uh, with less secret matters, a Navy lieutenant came to visit him at the Institute to enlist him in analyzing ordnance capabilities. Uh, he was apparently enthusiastic. Among the issues Einstein explored uh, as part of a $25 per day consulting arrangement were ways to shape the placement of sea mines in Japanese harbors. And his friend, uh, the physicist George Gamow, uh, got to come pick his brain on a variety of topics. He'd say, I'm in the Navy, but not required to get a Navy haircut. He would joke to his colleagues. Uh, probably had trouble, I'm sure, picturing him with a crew cut. After World War II, he worked to control nuclear uh, nuclear uh, proliferation 
He also regretted signing his initial letter to Roosevelt, saying in a Newsweek interview that had I known the Germans would not succeed in developing an atomic bomb, I would have done nothing. He would have not encouraged uh, Roosevelt to pursue that. Also, during World War II in 1940, Einstein becomes a citizen of the U.S. while also retaining his Swiss citizenship. World War II would change Einstein, as I'm sure it did a lot of people. You know, as in science, uh, so it was in the world of politics for Einstein. He sought a unified set of principles that could create order out of, uh, out of anarchy, a system based on sovereign nations with their own military forces, competing ideologies, conflicting national interests would inevitably produce more wars. So he regarded a world authority as uh, a realistic rather than idealistic uh, as a practical rather than naive way to run the world. For the remaining 10 years of his life, his passion for advocating a unified governing structure for the globe would rival that of finding a unified field theory that could govern all the forces of nature. So basically, he's just before he dies, he's just trying to solve all of the world's problems. Although distinct in most ways, both quests reflected his instinct for transcendent order. In, uh, in addition, both would display Einstein's willingness to be a nonconformist, to be serenely secure and challenging, uh, challenging prevailing attitudes. I can't hear conspiracy theorists now. Just one world government, man. Oh shit, Illuminati, trilateralists, Freemasons, space lizards. It's a one world agenda, man. It's real. Honestly, it probably kind of is. Honestly, one world government is probably inevitable uh, due to the reliance of uh, more and more nations on international trade and commerce to survive. You know, due to the increasing strain on a limited ecosystem, the exponentially increasing population is causing eventually. Maybe hundreds of years from now, I don't know. I feel like it only makes sense that all humans will have to become members of the same nation, you know, just to give us the best odds of not killing each other in some nuclear battle. That's just what I think. Who knows? Maybe I'm maybe I'm a member of the Illuminati. Uh, the three great powers, the U.S., Britain, Russia, should jointly establish a new world government, Einstein said uh, in an article, and then uh, invite other nations to join in. The United Nations, which was founded in October 1945, didn't come close enough to meeting these criteria, Einstein felt. He truly wanted a one-world government, so Einstein, you know, he sought to make it clear that world government he envisioned would not uh, impose a Western-style liberal democracy everywhere. He advocated a world legislator, legislature that would be elected directly by the people of each member country in secret ballot rather than be appointed by the nation's rulers. However, it should not be necessary to change the internal structure of the three great powers, he added as a reassurance to Russia. Membership in a supranational security system should not be based on any arbitrary democratic standards, so – you know, he's trying to prevent future wars. Uh, and, and this sentiment prompted Einstein in May 1946 to take on his most prominent public policy role of his career. He became chairman of the newly formed Emergency Committee of Atomic Scientists, which was dedicated to nuclear arms control and world government. During the Red Scare that followed World War II, Einstein refused to join in on kind of anti-communist propaganda. He also refused to promote communism. You know, when questioned about his refusal to take a hard stance on either side, he said, a person must strive to promote moderation and a more objective judgment. Man, why can't more people think like that? One world government, man. It's time for our reptilian master uh, you know, to start subjugating the human race. I feel like that's, uh, people get so worked up whenever you're uh, opposed to uh, even you know, the, the capitalism in, in any form whatsoever. I don't feel like we need to throw it away. I, I like it. But, you know, maybe we could you know, try and think about how fair it is. I don't know. 1952, Albert Einstein was offered the presidency of Israel turned it down. On November 9th, 1952, uh, Chain Weissman, the first president of Israel and one of the state's co-founders, along with David Ben-Gurion, died. Weissman had been in poor health when elected president in May 1948 and inaugurated on February 16th, 1949, according to Nesset history. As such, he was unable to actively craft policies and carry out the ceremonial state duties. After his death, the Israel government, led by David Ben-Gurion, decided to offer the post of presidency to the 73-year-old Einstein. 
Abba Iban, the uh, Israel ambassador to Washington and the state's UN representative, wrote a letter to Einstein, you know, just just asking him to, uh, you know, hopefully consider himself for president, you know, subject to a vote by the Knesset, you know, Israel's legislative committee. Einstein declined, writing, I am deeply moved by the offer from our state of Israel to serve as its president, and at once saddened and ashamed that I cannot accept it. All my life I have dealt with objective matters, hence I lack both the natural aptitude and the experience to deal properly with people and to exercise official functions. For these reasons alone, I should be unsuited to fulfill the duties of that high office, even if advancing age was not making increasing inroads on my strength. I am the more distressed over the circumstances because my relationship to the Jewish people has become my strongest human bond. Ever since I became fully aware of our precarious situation among the nations of the world. Man, what an honor to be offered the role of leading a new nation. And what a practical guy to turn it down knowing that he wasn't right for the job. I feel like that's a problem with a lot of like political leadership is like the people who truly would be best at the job (laughs) don't want it. Or don't think they would be good enough to do it because they understand truly how serious it is. Oh, he reconnects with his son, Hans Albert. Uh, Hans' mother died in 1948. And her other son... Edward, a.k.a. Teat, was institutionalized in a psychiatric clinic in Zurich, where he died in 1965. Uh, Shortly after Albert had celebrated his 75th birthday, the year before his son turned 50, Einstein, thanks to a reminder from his uh, son's wife, wrote his son a letter that was, you know, slightly slightly, uh, formal, you know, as if created for a special occasion, contained a nice tribute both to his son and to the value of a life in science. So I guess he's, you know, at the end of his life, trying to be a little bit better of a dad. On, On Sunday, April 17th, Einstein woke up feeling better than he had recently. He was in poor health at this point in his life. He asked for his glasses, papers, pencils, proceeded to jot down a few calculations. He talked to Hans Albert about some scientific ideas, you know, he pointed to his equations, lamented half-jokingly to his son, if only I had more mathematics. He worked as long as he could, and when the pain got too great, he went to sleep that night, and then shortly after 1 a.m. on Monday, April 18th, the nurse heard him blurt out a few words in German that she could not understand, and then the aneurysm uh, burst, and he died at age 76, right? Working equations right until the very end. And with his death, also dies, this time, suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You made it back. Barely. So that is the life of Einstein. Some of it. You know, you could have an entire year-long weekly podcast dedicated to his life and still not cover all of it. I mean, in just 1905 alone, one year, you know, while he was working at that patent office, he published papers on the Brownian movement, you know, or the zigzag motion of microscopic particles and suspension. You know, his findings helped prove the existence of atoms and molecules, the quantum theory of light. He proposed that light is composed of separate packets of energy called quanta or photons that have some properties, properties of particles and some properties of waves. He also explained the photoelectric effect, which is the emission of electrons from some solids when they're struck by light. Television is a practical application of his theory of light. The special theory of relativity, you know, explained that time and motion are relative to the observers. You know, as long as the speed of light remains constant, natural laws are the same throughout the universe. The link between mass and energy. The fourth paper expanded this on this idea, you know, with that famous equation, E equals MC squared. Formula demonstrating that a small particle of matter contains an enormous amount of energy, the, the, you know, the basis for nuclear energy. And all of this in just a year. But it's still not enough for some. Not enough for the idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. The History Channel ran a documentary on Einstein. I know, I know. I have a lot of problems with the History Channel's programming. Uh, but this documentary, however, seems pretty solid. You can watch the whole thing, almost exactly 90 minutes long on YouTube. 
Uh, it, it, I'll include the link in the episode notes in the app. User Tillman knocks one comment out of the park, in my opinion. Clearly, when he left his comment, 457 people had thumbed down the video, a video that now has over a million views, <laughs> and he said 457 people were rejected by their cousins. Zing! Nice work, Tillman. Good word economy. Solid zinger. And then user Kane uh, Aviz uh, goes conspiracy nut, saying he worked at the patent office and stole whatever he liked. Look, Alan Watt, he knows the entire story. Well, I did look up Alan Watt. I think that's what you meant. And I found a YouTube video called Alan Watt Debunks Einstein, and I struck gold. It's gold in this here thread. Big nuggets of idiot gold. Gold comments, 24 carat links to golden tomfoolery. Here's what a little of uh, here's a little of what uh, Alan has to say. This is just uh, preposterously absurd. All right, so Alan, let's, I'm going to find him here. Alan Watt debunks Einstein. Well, when you look at say uh, Einstein, for instance, I've never fallen for Einstein's uh, propaganda. That oh. He's so typical of the ones that suddenly they pull out of nowhere oh. a sudden genius, just like uh, the same thing with Charles Darwin mm-hmm. and many others. Okay. They belong to the Royal Society at the highest Masonic scientific group on the planet. Oh, the Masons. Did Einstein? And, yeah. And Einstein literally was diagnosed at school. He was classed as an idiot. No, he wasn't. In his school, if you read the biographies on him. You've never read one of them. Um, his teachers all said the guy couldn't learn anything. They were stunned nope. when he suddenly, you know, years later, he became a famous scientist. Uh-huh. But his parents were, were well-connected. Not true. In Switzerland. Nope. And they got him a job in the patent office. No, they didn't. And the reward, if you work in a see, patent office is... This, <laughs> this, it's just such preposterous idiocy. Yeah, what, what are you talking about? Oh, maybe maybe Alan worked for uh, maybe he was hired by PassItOn.com. You know, as a student, he was no Einstein. Pass it on. Maybe there's you know, if you look that up, it's Alan actually. Masonic group. All, all his teachers said he was an idiot. His parents were well connected. Total nonsense. <laughs> well, before I move uh, on to more Alan Watts, user Bandit King, YouTube user, has a great rebuttal to Kane Avis's original claim that Einstein stole all of his mathematical theories from the patent office, saying Kane Avis sounds like. <laughs> Sounds like you all need some education. A patent office does not deal with scientific mathematical theories. A patent office is where you go to submit your ideas of products and features of products and their implementations. Show me one, just one scientist in the history of humanity who went and submitted his paper to a patent office instead of a scientific journal. The hoax is so idiotic. Please feel free to do some basic Google searches and learn about what a patent office does before spewing out garbage like this. Oh, I love it. User Luis de Ruiz Santiago furthers his thoughts, saying, Kane Aviz, his theories have nothing to do with anything you could patent at the time. He was a theoretical, all caps, physicist. Exactly. I love how this fucking idiot, along, along with Alan Watt, just thinks that like mind-blowing theoretical, you know, theoretical concepts are just being like hand printed up and handed in at the Swiss patent office. You know, like some of the guys... 
I haven't I ideal for a bicycle ringer yeah just ring ring yeah put it uh, noise in for people walking by not to be run over by a bicycle yeah and I have an idea for bib for baby to not show baby shirt with baby sauces yeah and I have one more own idea I have an idea for bending of light by gravity yeah in space some I some ideas for a relation between space and time yeah great so when whenever someone make a spaceship yeah the travels at speed of light I get a little cut of the action, yeah? <laughs> get the fuck out of here. It's like you, you can't patent a theoretical concept. Uh, under Alan Watts' video, user uh, Robin, Robin Edwards sums up the gist of the video saying, why let facts spoil a good conspiracy? And Alan, uh, he goes on and on in this video about Zionists. Uh, Jewish leaders set on destroying the world. Re- Real Zionism is a movement of the Jewish people that supports the reestablishment of a Jewish homeland in the territory defined as the historic land of Israel. Conspiracy nut Zionism is a quest by Jewish leaders to control all of the world and subjugate Christians to their evil will. Uh, Alan, Alan Watts is a maniac. Alan Watts. Uh, he's not well. Or Alan Watts. Actually, Alan Watts is a real, uh, uh, different, entirely different person. I think a philosopher. But Alan Watts is a man. Yeah, I went to his website, which, lo- which looks exactly like the kind of website created by a maniac. I'm, I'm sure he made it himself. It's disorganized, chaotic, much like his mind. His website features great quotes. Here's a few. Because Alan is perfectly genuine, he has no agent or manager to arrange radio interviews. No, he, has, he doesn't have an agent or a manager because he's a lunatic spouting gibberish. Uh, apparently Alan gets hit up by a lot of people connecting his teachings to the lizard Illuminati teachings of David Icke because he posts this for those who wish information on reptilian people rather than waste my time please check the entertainment sections of major bookstores or visit the local zoo come on people I'm a racist not a lunatic Uh, wait that's actually not entirely true technically I'm a racist and a lunatic. I'm not just a lunatic. Uh, Alan's official logo is <laughs> so it looks like he drew it himself. It's so bad. It's so janky. And it's him uh, karate kicking the third eye off of an Illuminati pyramid. It's so great. It's so great. Since because <laughs> I guess you know the third eye, uh, the third eye actually represents uh, truth seeking and knowledge, not a secret society of you know nefarious nefarious rulers. So actually his, his logo is kind of accurately represents him in a way he's not aware of. Uh, his website opens up with, in all ages and all lands, there have been those who seek truth. This seeking is an individual search for something more than self and much more than the confines of this worldly system. It is the seeker who understands there is more than what meets the eye, who is not afraid and makes the choice to go into the unknown. The process of awakening has begun. The discovery is underway. Alan Watt, a course in deprogramming. I've known so many people who post shit like that on Instagram, like some memes, you know? They'll have a fucking, you know, one of like uh, some sh- some dude with their chakras all lit up in the background and they post some quote like that. And they, they never seem to know what they're actually talking about. Uh, <laughs> every time I do the edits to the internet section, uh, just the edits at the internet, I'm just reminded how important education is. Uh, Alan also has a section devoted to chemtrails. Of course he does. Uh, he sells three books, has a PayPal donation link. The books are cutting through volumes one, two, and three. $29.50 each or $85.50 for all three. Just under 90 bucks for three paperweights full of gibberish. He also posts times for his weekly video sermons. Uh, he's basically like a lesser known, even crazier Scottish Alex Jones. And his main focus points are the coming new world order, chemtrails, climate change is fake, and that FEMA is creating prison cities to starve various members of the population. Oh, and he thinks David Icke, the, Illus- uh, the lizard Illuminati guy, is a quack. I love it, man. It's like a fucking hip-hop beef, except for it's, it's conspiracy nuts squaring off instead of rappers. 
But he does have fans. He does have fans. Fans like user Sam uh, Zanali, who under the debunking Einstein video post, it is a fact that Einstein was an idiot. <laughs> he was such an underachiever at school that he was told to leave the school. His relative find him a job at the Swiss Patent Office. Swiss Patent Office, in parentheses, was a place that the scientists registered and patented their discoveries. You can understand the scale of the fraud. As a student, he was no Einstein. Pass it on. And uh, user Joggler66 is a fan saying Einstein was selected for his Jew background. Whenever somebody says something like that, you know that they're just a fucking idiot. Like instead of Jewish, they just say Jew. Like they're always just a racist idiot. Einstein was selected for his Jew background. All right. I can discount anything you have to say going forward now. So he will never be doubted. It's all the same with guys like him, Darwin, etc. And Alan spoke about these persons too. Don't believe people invent stuff. Some exceptions, like Tesla. The technology or knowledge is given to them. Nice example, Bill Gates. What? After that comment, I know three things for sure about user Joggler66. One, he likes Alan Watt. Two, racist. Three, idiot. What the hell are you talking about? Technology and knowledge are given to people. By whom? Aliens? You? Your mom? Some other member of your dumb family? Who is giving innovators information? Joggler66. Sasquatch? Nimrod? Bojangles? James Ingram, Lucifina. Of course you think innovation and discovery is given to people. I'm guessing because you're so intellectually challenged, you can't comprehend what it's like to actually figure something out on your own. Something, you know, that wasn't previously understood. It, it, it's, be, it's behind your, it's, you know, beyond your level of intelligence to just figure out how that process even works. So they must have stolen it, I guess. Why can't more people just understand that we're not all created equal? Just like some people who are fit and six feet tall can dunk a basketball and others of the same age, height, and fitness level can't touch the rim, some people, like Einstein, can slam dunk intellectual concepts. They can leap from the foul line, double pump that shit, and throw it down. Have the crowd stand up on their feet. They're intellectually superior, man. Accept it. Trust in the scientific process. Mistakes have been made in science for sure, and they'll continue to be made, but it's the best thing we have going forward to learn new concepts that are actually true and real. It's the best process we have for educating and evolving. Outside of the scientific process, understanding the world just leads to wild speculation where anything is possible and where you know people like Alan Watts are able to rally other idiots around their insane just agendas and insane. Avoid a new intellectual dark ages. Avoid these idiots of the internet. Idiots of the internet. internet. All right, so Einstein. We got a little taste of who he was. A guy with an impressive level of focus who did so much to change the world. In some ways for good, in some ways not so much. You know, had he not existed, would we still have made it to the atomic bomb? Hard to say. Would someone else have come to the same, you know, scientific conclusions? Probably, but when? You know, had he not created the atomic bomb, is there any chance uh, Japan would have won World War II? What would happen then? I don't know. We'll never know what the world would look like today if we were able to go back and remove one person from history. I do think removing Einstein would wreak a little more havoc on the present than removing the average person would. For me, he's both an inspiration and a warning. Uh, you know, you can accomplish great things if you block out distractions and really focus singularly on one project, you know, or, or your career, something that suits your talents. But if you focus too hard, you can also really hurt the people around you and maybe not have the most balanced life. Is that worth the cost? You know, what is worth the cost? How much sacrifice is acceptable? Questions I think we all have to answer for ourselves. Something to think about. And and isn't that what Einstein did best? You know, he gave us something to think about. Uh, now, another look back at Einstein with some top five takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, in 1905, Einstein blew the roof 
off the scientific community's current understanding of space and time and the relationship between energy and mass, all while working at the patent office where he was stealing his ideas. Uh, he also believed in the time suck mantra of work can wait. So be like Einstein. Don't stress too hard about your day job. Unless you work for me, then please don't do that until you have uh, the stuff I'd like you to get done. But then go ahead. Uh, number two, in 1914, Einstein essentially abandoned his wife and two kids after giving his wife a truly disgusting list of marital demands. And then shortly after his divorce, he married his first cousin. Ugh. Even geniuses, uh, when they're men, uh, do appear to be nearly incapable of not being led astray by their dicks at some point. Number three, Einstein's famed E equals MC squared equation opened the scientific door to the creation of nuclear weapons and nuclear energy. The world's most famous equation may also someday be the one that ultimately destroys us. Number four, as a student, he was no Einstein. Pass it on. And number five, new info, 68% of the population has an IQ between 85 and 115, the average range between 70 and 130. That represents 95% of the population. An IQ of 120, considered superior, above 130, considered intellectually gifted, above 145, considered genius, right? And the highest IQ uh, ever recorded, it's actually according to the Guinness Book of World Records, that honor goes to Marilyn Voss Savant with an IQ of 228, uh, Einstein supposedly had 162. So very, very smart. Think about how smart uh, Marilyn might be. Jesus, she's still alive. Parade Magazine interviewed her about the score way back in the 80s, and they uh, ended up getting so many letters sent in to her that they hired her in 1986, gave her the Ask Marilyn con column, that thing that's still in Parade Magazine today. That little thing shows up in print in like the Sunday paper. Ask Marilyn, man. You should ask her. I'm going to start asking her some stuff. She has an IQ of 228. And she's still answering those questions again today at the age of 71. I love it. Time suck. Top five takeaways. So episode 67, it's wrapped. Last show of 2017. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays. Happy Festivus. Uh, if you don't already, you know, uh, do so. Listen to Time Suck on the new Time Suck app. Show notes for each episode. Characters right into the show, right from the app. Easy link to the store. More all right there on the app. Oh, and when you finish downloading an episode, the app will yell at you. It says, Hail Nimrod. Uh, I've heard that scared the shit out of a few of you, and it surprised you. Uh, thanks to BitElixir for building it and currently working on getting everything ready for the Space Lizards in February. New secondary podcast coming for the premium listeners, along with the new app, uh, you know, uh, features. There's also going to be a new stand-up app album coming for the premium listeners only. Two new albums coming up quick in 2018. Pandora exclusive on January 24th that I just had artwork finished uh, uh, for, which looks so good. By the Danger Brain crew. Uh, Time Suck exclusive on February 1st. Just under 90 minutes of previously unrecorded, unreleased stand-up. Uh, more merch in the store. First four generations of the Time Suck shirt have been restocked. Finally. I know a lot of you guys have been waiting a long time for some of those sizes. Yes. Also, new hoodies, pullovers, new Hail Nimrod shirt. Cult of the Curious shirt, I think it's there by the time you hear this. Uh, it's, it's, I'm recording this on Thursday. It's supposed to get there on Friday. You know, so by Christmas Day, should be there. Just had some delivery problems lately. So it should be a full store full of all the stuff. So please, treat yourself. Support the suck. Thanks to Danger Brain for the new items, man. They just killed it. They also killed it with that CD design, you know, which is going to be called uh, the CD or the album. Not CD. What the fuck am I talking about? I just I just went back to 1996 for a second. Uh, the album's going to be called uh, Maybe I'm the Problem. Album number six in the canon. Uh, still cranking away on the YouTube episodes. Almost there. Big holiday shutdown. 
you know, or, you know, big holiday slowdown, kind of slowing everything down. They'll be up too, soon. Uh, my New Year's resolution is going to be to keep my mouth shut uh, on more things until they're actually completed as much as possible. I get way too excited. I'm like a little kid. Special thanks to Time Suckers, uh, Liam O'Donovan, Justin Walters, Charles Belcher, anyone else I missed for suggesting Einstein. Thanks to Sydney Shives for killing it on social media. Harmony Velocamp for all of her kick-ass positive energy. Help on social media as well. Thanks to Jesse Dobner for crushing it again with editing. Thanks to Josh Krell for setting up the Suck Dungeon, making it all pretty and cool and functional and recording this first episode like it should be recorded. Thanks to all of you who wrote in this past week. Every email is appreciated. Uh, Next Monday, Time Suck 68, New Year's Day. We're going dark again. (laughs) Real dark to start the year. We've been light. Now we're going real dark. In the 1970s, a monster, a clown, far scarier than Pennywise, was torturing the people of Cook County, Illinois. John Wayne Gacy, one of the biggest monsters I've ever heard about. He makes me sick. But I do have a macabre interest in that kind of stuff, I guess. Uh, and I keep getting requests to suck his horrifically evil ass. So kicking off 2018 with some darkness, some Lucifina. And after a couple-week break from uh, murder and mayhem, you know, I guess we might as well jump back into the mind of a killer. And now, some Time Sucker updates. Updates? Get your Time Sucker updates. Slender Man update. Uh, just text it to me. By my Bojangles research intern, Maddie Teeter. Maddie the Heater Teeter. The old Heater Teeter. I just came up with that. Hopefully she doesn't hate it. <laughs> Going back to Time Suck 48, uh, Anissa Weir, 16, uh, pleaded guilty to being a party to attempted second-degree homicide but claimed she was mentally ill at the time. She and Morgan Geyser lured a classmate into a Wisconsin wooded park where Geyser stabbed her 19 times as Weir stood by. The victim survived. All girls were 12 at the time, as you know if you've heard that episode. The victim was found crawling from woods by a cyclist. You're crawling out of the woods near the city of Waukesha, uh, western suburb of Milwaukee. She had stab wounds to her arms, legs, and torso. And I think I finally got that city right because I was just in Madison, Wisconsin, where they were like, it's not Waukesha, you dummy. I heard that from a lot of people. Waukesha. Waukesha County Circuit Judge Michael Boren on Thursday sentenced Weir to a maximum punishment of 25 years in a psychiatric institution. The sentencing is retroactive to the date the crime occurred. Uh, May 2014, which means she'll be, uh, you know, committed until the age of 37. So there you go. Both both perpetrators uh, are now, you know, uh, well, they've been apprehended. Uh, Anissa, until she's 37. Morgan Geyser, she's actually going to be sentenced uh, in February. I thought she'd already been sentenced, but I guess I looked it up today. She'll be sentenced in February. But I believe she'll also be in a psychiatric uh, facility is where she'll be sentenced. Okay. An Eleanor Roosevelt uh, update. Dear Suckmaster, this is from Kurt. He says, you motherfucker, just listen to L motherfucking Roosevelt. When you said the bit about the pewter figures in FDR's ass, I cackled, waited, and after several seconds of you not addressing that as a joke, I thought, this motherfucker is going to make me Google this bullshit. (laughs) For a brief moment, I actually considered uh, that maybe this is a real thing that they obviously weren't going to teach us in school. Thanks for a great show. Also, the Crazy Horse episode. I'm in the process of doing a painting inspired by a Crazy Horse episode because of that episode. That's awesome. Oh, man, please, please, uh, Kurt, please, uh, you know, let me see that Crazy Horse uh, painting. Please send me a, a photo of that, man, or post it on Instagram, you know, at Time Suck Podcast. Uh, keep up the good work, brother. Really happy for you that you're getting the studio put together and that things are progressing with the podcast. We'll write again soon, you, your faithful future space lizard. Yes. Thank you, Kurt. Um, sorry I didn't put your last name in, in the notes here. You can you can correct me. Uh, and this is an overall podcast update. It's from, it's from Zach Kumor. It says, hi, Dan, love the podcast. Had to reach out. I've been thoroughly inspired by you and some other podcasters, so I've decided to start my own did a pilot, and it was well-received. Just looking for some quick advice. What do you use as a podcast host? How about website host? Hail Nimrod, and thanks in advance. Zach. 
Let's talk about equipment first. Uh, today's episode was created using a, a dead and uh, sound foamed room, you know, recorded uh, with the Shure SM7B mic, running through a CL1 cloud lifter, give it a decibel boost of clean gain of 25 decibels because uh, it's a dynamic mic, doesn't put out as much sound but they also don't pick out as much background noise, which I like. Uh, I have the mic hooked up to the desk with the Rode mic arm. We run the XLR cable uh, into a Shure SM, SCM268 mic mixer, run audio video cable from my headphone jack onto my MacBook Air through the Shure mixer to play like the YouTube videos. Then all of that gets snaked into a universal audio Apollo twin solo audio interface. And then all of that will be edited in Pro Tools going forward. Uh, previously, I've used GarageBand Logic Pro. When I'm on the road, much simpler, I use the Shure SM58 mic with the wind cover, shitty little portable mic stand, XLR that into the same CL1 cloud lifter because it's a dynamic mic as well, shoot all that into a Zoom H4n handy recorder set to phantom power on the mic input. You know, if I do YouTube clips or whatever, uh, I just kind of like uh, hold the mic near the uh, speaker of the Mac uh, the MacBook Air, which is probably kind of ghetto. Uh, I probably should get like an XLR to 8th inch output converter and go straight from the computer. Uh, into the into the uh, Zoom, uh, I've I've used Libsyn for hosting and Art19. Uh, use Art19 right now to distribute the episodes. I recommend either. I think Libsyn is a great platform to get started with for the website. Going with GoDaddy, uh, I find their customer support, their customer service to be very good. So that's that's for you podcasters. And now finally, an Oak Island update comes in from Bria McLean in Canada. She says, "Hey, General Buttface, top shitter of the time suck. I am from Prince Edward Island." One of the Canadian provinces you mentioned in the Oak Island Mystery episode. I wanted to say that I enjoyed that stupid dick joke, Prince Dickhead Island, and confirmed that the people who live on this island are indeed nice. Also, side note, if it hasn't been mentioned by someone else, uh, Micmac is actually pronounced more like Mi'kmaq. Keep on sucking, you hilarious piece of shit. <laughs> With love from Prince Dickhead Island, Canada, Bria McLean. Yeah, you know what? The pronunciation stuff, I went to so many websites, and they all said Micmac, and then I got a couple emails, so I wanted to put that in there. It's Mi'kmaq. So sorry, Amer- uh, the uh, you know First Nation uh, people of, of Canada, Mi'kmaqs. I, I, I was led astray. Damn you, Lucifina. That's all for the Time Suck updates. Thanks, Time Suckers. I needed that. We all did. And that's it for 2017, man. Thanks for making it such a wild ride. This podcast has surpassed any expectations I had for it to start the year. I'm really excited to see where we can go You know, in, in 2018. Praiseable Jangles. Hail Nimrod. Hell, you know, hail Lucifina, praise James Ingram and Michael Motherfuck McDonald. And is Chikatilo really a character on the suck now? I'm so surprised you guys like that as much as you do. I, I, I know a lot of you love him, and I know today you did not get triple M'd, you did not get Chikatilo'd, so we're going to end with this. I keep forgetting. I'm not in love anymore. I keep forgetting things will never be the same again. Yummo time suck and all that stuff. I, I go jerks now. I use jerks off chain cock. You keep on sucking. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. 
Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.